Hey guys, Matt, I was kind of like you. I, I was staring at Jessica on the screen and just thinking I could stare at her all day like this. So, made my mouth dry out how beautiful she is. And so, um, yeah, I just, I'm, so the Lord's taking me off script as we speak here and, uh, which is a first for Facebook Live, but not a first at the awakening. Um, and so I want to read from Psalm 93. It's a short psalm, but just listen to it. You know, we're every day we're have at our fingertips endless information. And there's so much that's happening in the world so quickly. Um, you've got the COVID-19 thing that's happening. You got uh, events that are happening in world governments. You've got s scandals in our government. You've got things that are hidden being revealed. You've got people being exposed here, people in high places, people that affect our lives because of the position that they're in. And, and so you have available, um, you know, there's, all kinds of spins on these events from one end of the spectrum to the other. And it really can feel like a flood. And I feel like part of the reason that people um, struggle with anxiety more in our day, at least we hear about it more in our day, is because of the flood of information. And, um, you know, I've asked Jessica before, it's like, why are more people why is anxiety such a diagnosed so much more anxiety, depression or whatever? And depression really is a fruit of anxiety. Um, I, I've gone through it when I was 22 years old and for about three months. And I would just remember my, my mind could not stop. And it was, and the only way I could get any relief was to um, go to sleep. So that's why people who are depressed, they sleep, maybe they sleep all day. My appetite was suppressed. I was losing weight. And it was because my thoughts were so anxious and so worried at that time. And so um, some people have been dealing with anxiety during this time. But I want to read Psalm 93. And it says, the Lord reigns. He is clothed with majesty. The Lord has clothed and girded himself with strength. Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. Now listen to this. Verse 3. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their pounding waves. And so just the, the, to me, these, the floods are um, the things that are happening in the spirit. There's a war for nations right now in the spirit. And a lot of us are feeling that. So it just, it's, it's like these waves of intensity that we feel. Maybe we can't put exactly into words, but there's, there is an, an intense battle over our nation. There's an intense battles over all the nations of the earth right now. And part of the good news is, is that 
the devil is frothing and flailing about manifesting himself in all corners of the globe, which means Jesus is on the scene. And so when in the gospels, whenever Jesus showed up, what did the demons do? Leave us alone. It is not our time. And you're the son. You know, they started manifesting. And Jesus would cast them out, tell them to be silent. And so what Jesus is wanting to do for us is to tell those things to be silent in our lives, to not have any influence. And if we are suffering from anxiety or whatever else is manifesting our lives for it to be for it to be cast out, God doesn't reveal anything that, that he doesn't wish to overcome in your life. He, he's not about exposing you for the sake of expo exposure. He exposes the things in our heart for the sake of healing. And so, but there's been, there's floods of information. There's floods of, of corruption. There's the flood of fear and anxiety. And this is, and so the, these floods have lifted up. They've lifted their voice up. And it's like these pounding waves. But listen to what verse four says, more than the sounds of many waters, than the mighty breakers of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. So the Lord is above the flood. Psalm 29, it says, you sat enthroned above the flood. You sat as king above the flood. And so the Lord is king and his throne has been established from everlasting to everlasting. This isn't the first storm God has ever experienced, you know. And so as we walk with him, he's going he's gonna to guide us through these, the pounding of this, of this flood. And it says in verse 5, it says, your testimonies are fully confirmed. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. And so the Lord is mighty. And, you know, what Jessica read out of Revelation, where we fall at his feet, this is a time to just humble ourselves before the Lord and, and, and fall at our feet and come to the end of ourselves so that he can lift us up with his righteous right hand, is what the way the Psalms put it. But even David here, I mean, excuse me, John in Revelation says that, the Lord put his right hand upon me. And the right hand in scripture represents power and strength and ability and grace. Just God's ability, his grace and strength into your life. And so that's why it says that, you know, God, Jesus sits at the right hand of the father. And Jesus, and, uh, at the end of second Corinthians, it says, may the love of God, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. And so when you see the word right hand, it means salvation, strength. It means the grace of God represented by Jesus Christ. It means being seated at his right hand in the heavenly places in Christ. It means being empowered. And so when we come to the end of ourselves and to the end of our strength, and and maybe we're at the we're in a, at the end of our despair, God's gonna come with his right hand and lift us up. And scripture just talks about that all over the place. It says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you in due time. And so um, humbling ourselves and just having a humble heart, asking God for a humble heart. You know, God is looking for a place to habitate. And, you know, it says in um, Isaiah that he's not looking for a house made with human hands, but he's looking upon those who are humble and contrite and tremble at his word and that's the place he wants to dwell and that's been a, a reoccurring theme over here 
um, in the gay house at least, but I feel like the way he's been speaking to the body of Christ um, during this time. I also want to turn to, um, let's go to Matthew chapter 25. And this is about the the ten virgins. And I had a, a, a little piece on Acts chapter 8 talking about Simon the sorcerer. I feel like that's going to be for another time if we get to it. But I want to talk about the, the parable of the ten virgins in, in Matthew chapter 25. So if you turn in your Bibles there. And again, like we forgot to say at the beginning of this uh, broadcast, but your comments are helpful not only for me, but for everybody watching because it's it's interaction. It's kind of helps us be in person without being in person, so to speak. And so Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven will be comparable to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, five of them were prudent or wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the prudent took oil and flask along with their lamps. Now while the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. But at midnight there was a shout, Behold the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the prudent, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the prudent answered, No, there will not be enough for us and for you too. Go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they were going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast, and the door was shut. Later the other virgins also came, saying, Lord, Lord, open up for us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Be on the alert then, for you do not know the day or the hour. Alright, so part of the background of this story is that whenever there is a wedding feast, they would walk they would the bridegroom would take the bride and they would go through all the city streets of the village and they would they would take the long way they would purposely not go the shortest route back home but they would go through all the city streets making sure that everybody as they passed by every every house that everyone would get to celebrate with them their marriage and so you have this picture of the bridegroom with the bride and they're they're on their their donkeys or mules or camels and they're going through the streets and as they would get to the one end of the street they say the bridegroom is here and everybody would come to their out of their uh, house doors or looking through the windows and they'd have their lamps because it would be at night and it would take a very long time and so as the bridegroom would come through announcing his presence people would light their lamps to light the way and also to see the bridegroom and his bride. And so that's kind of what it looked like back then in that day for after a wedding. And so you've got these um, these wise and foolish virgins. And five of them had oil for their lamps and five of them did not. And so part of 
having oil for your lamp is the oil is is the oil of the Holy Spirit. And that can only come through our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so the, these, these wise and prudent virgins, they had already paid for their oil by taking their, their lamps to the dealer. Now, who is the dealer? The dealer is the Holy Spirit. And so these, these five wise virgins had already paid the price. And so now I, what I'm not saying is, is that we, we work our way into God's presence or we work our way into salvation or anything like that. But what I'm saying is, is that there's, there's a price and a sacrifice of time that we have to give in order to have a relationship with the Lord. There's sacrifice of our resources. And so just spending time with the Lord, being intentional with that, sacrificing that, whether it's getting up early or like Jesus would do, sometimes he, he uh, would stay up praying all the way through the night. And so Jesus valued his father's presence even more than sleep. And there was times where he's ministering all day and maybe he didn't get a, a time to get alone with the father. And so it was so important to him that even after a long day of where we would just want to crash into the bed, Jesus would go up to the mountain to pray, to be with his father all night because he knew that was even more important than sleep. And so we have to be willing to pay that sacrifice of time and, and of our resources, you know, giving where the Lord tells us to give uh, and, and things of that nature. And so this oil, as the parable talks about, is that this is something that you can't give away. And I think uh, conferences are great. I think seminars, I think all of those things are amazing and you can be highly impacted by those things and leave with deposits that God wants to give you. But if we, you know, in my life, I've, I've seen people run from conference to conference, living off other people's oil, and it runs out really quickly because they're not buying their own oil. And they're not, they're living off somebody else's relationship with God. And this was really what, um, you know, I was going to preach on Acts 8, where Simon the sorcerer, actually became a believer. He was performing signs and wonders. And, and Philip came to Samaria. He was, they called him the great one. They called him the man who is like God because he was performing such amazing signs and wonders. And then Philip came to Samaria where Simon was, and he started performing signs and wonders. But the difference was Philip started, was preaching Christ crucified. It says that Philip was preaching Christ. And so even Simon came under the convicting power of the Holy Spirit and he became a believer and he started following Philip around wanting to learn from Philip how to do the things that he was doing. John and Peter come up from Jerusalem to Samaria because of basically the revival that's breaking out in Samaria through the ministry of Philip. And the people there, a lot of the believers, they had only been baptized into the name of Jesus, meaning they had only undergone water baptism. And so Peter and John go up there and they start baptizing people in the Holy Spirit. And Simon is so amazed by what's going on that he, because he sees the power of what is happening when, when Peter and John are laying hands and, and people are being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so he's seeing people powerfully touched by that baptism. And so 
One thing really clear, I always want to clear up whenever I talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, is that when upon receiving Jesus Christ into your heart as your Lord and Savior, you have the Holy Spirit. There's other scriptures that talk about in Ephesians that you've been given the Holy Spirit as a down payment, as a seal. And and, and so you you every uh, sincere believer in Christ has the Holy Spirit. So the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is that empowering to be able to move in these supernatural gifts, signs, wonders, miracles that, that God gives to his people. And so it, it can release the gift of tongues, miracles, uh, healings, faith, signs, wonders, and, and other things. I, I don't want to get into all of that. But, and so, it really, and so you're, when you receive Jesus into your heart, you imagine yourself as a glass, an empty glass. Holy Spirit comes in, fills up that glass. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is putting that full glass inside of a full pitcher of water. So it's, he's not only in you, but he is on you for other people as well. And so here's Simon watching Peter and John baptize people in the Holy Spirit. And he says, he says, let me pay you that I may have this authority. And another way to say that, let me pay you so I can have, so I can have your anointing on my life. And I remember Graham Cook, you know, said one time, you know, some guy came up to him and said, I want double your anointing on my life. Pray for me. And Graham says, I'll pray for double anointing on your life if you, if, as, as long as you'll have double the sufferings <laughs> that came with the anointing. And so, you know, the guy was like, hey, I, don't, I don't know about that. So Graham, had, he's paid a price for the anointing on his life. Men of God who do walk in power and authority and, and women of God, they've paid a, a price. And so here's Simon. He's wanting a quick fix. He's wanting, hey, let me just give you some money because I'm rich. People have been throwing money at my feet for years. So he's probably had a lot of money. Here, let me give you a couple thousand dollars so I can get that gift. And so I can take my ministry to the next level. And so he is wanting, he is still wanting to make his name great. And that's what it said about him. It said he was wanting to make a name for himself in Acts 8 before he heard Philip preach. And so even though he had become a follower of Jesus, he still had this thing in his heart that was wanting to make himself great. And so I believe that there's a part in all of us that wants our name to be known and it has to die. I believe that there's a part of us that are all like Simon the sorcerer, you know, and my point is how I'm going to tie this back into the 10 virgins is that when he asked Peter if I, he could have his anointing, Peter said, may your money go to destruction along with you. Now, I've never, I, you know, that's not your friendly neighborhood preacher saying that to you. But it was the, <laughs> but it was the truth of, of God. And, and, and there was, and, and Simon Asked Peter, he said, pray to God that nothing worse may happen to me like you said. So Simon just wasn't getting the picture. Here he was asking for Peter's anointing. And then when Peter rebuked him, he said, you, hey, will you pray to God for me? And so Simon was guilty of, of the, what the children of Israel were guilty of at Mount Sinai when Moses got the Ten Commandments. 
There was an invitation for the children of Israel to hear the voice of God from themselves, not just Moses. But they said, no, Moses, you listen on behalf of us. You speak for us. You relate to God for us. We're going to feed off your relationship with God. And of course, what happened? They end up worshiping a golden calf not many days later. And so the point is, if you do not, if you're not cultivating your own relationship with God, you're going to fall away. You're going to fall into idolatry of some sort. And so we have to be like these 10 wise virgins that, that cultivate and buy our own oil. We, we have our own oil from the Holy Spirit. And it's simply by setting aside what is his already. He is the God of our time. He's the God of our finances. He's the God of our lives. And so paying that price to cultivate intimacy with the Lord. And says of these, the foolish virgins, they went into the wedding feast. The door was shut because they had, the, the wise virgins told them, he's like, you got to go to the dealer to get your own oil. So they ran off, got their own oil, came back to the party, but the door was shut and it was too, too late. And they knocked on the door and the bridegroom said, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. And so what is, what this means for us is that we have to be alert. We have to be awake. We have to be ready and we have to be sober minded and, and live expecting the Lord live, um, you know, even the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, they fell, they fell sleepy, they fell asleep. And even in this parable, it says that all ten virgins were getting sleepy. But there was just five that, that had oil. And so we have to, there is a, uh, a slumbering spirit that tries to come against us. That to stay alert and to stay ready, to stay sober-minded is cultivating intimacy with the Lord. And so Jesus, um, and I, you know, when I think about cultivating intimacy, it's like that we have, I look at it as almost like we have two options. Like we're going to get drunk on one of one or two things. We're going to get drunk on the world's wine, which song of song says, your love is better than wine. In, in chapter one of Song of Songs. And what it's saying is like, G, the love of Jesus is better than the wine of the world. It's better than anything the world has to offer. And then, but then right here, but also in Song of Songs, it says, it says imbibe deeply of my love. Meaning, and that word imbibe means to get drunk on the love of Jesus. To be overwhelmed. So when you're drunk, you're overwhelmed. Like, and in, in some ways, you're out of, control or, or the love of God is compelling you like Paul said and so when we're drunk on Jesus we're the opposite of dull which we're actually sharp we have wisdom we have understanding our eyes are open and we have supernatural power to solve problems whether it's in the physical um, praying for people and releasing God's healing over their lives or having the wisdom of Jesus to to solve problems that people have, you know, like Solomon was tapping into that when the two women wanted to, uh, were fighting over the child. And Solomon said, well, just to chop the baby in half and y'all each have your own. And the mother was revealed as the one who was willing to, uh, 
abate and, and let the other woman have the child. And so my, the, my whole point th this morning is go to the dealer, get your own oil, cultivate intimacy with the Lord. It doesn't come cheaply. It comes with by following God and it comes by consistency. One of the things I tell people that I, I do personal training with, I said the biggest key for you seeing success, for you seeing growth is consistency. Because so many times we, we, we hit that spurt and then we kind of flame out. Mike Bickle says radical Christianity is being faithful for more than 30 years. It's not the quick flame, but it's the, it's the, it's the coals that can start a fire at any moment. And so being consistent, persevering, even if you're spending time with the Lord, you know, there's times where maybe you don't feel his presence and, and you're, you're like, man, I kind of was all over the place this morning. I don't know it. Don't worry about it. You're in, you're spending time in God's presence and he is massaging your heart with his oil, making you more tender as you spend time with him, even when you don't feel his presence at times. And then there's going to be mornings or evenings whenever you spend when you spend time with him where he's going to overwhelm you and touch you and you're going to be crying and you're going to be laying on the floor crying out to him and, and, and being touched by his love and his mercy. But, but it's because of cultivating it during those the dry times, breaking up your fallow ground when, there ha when there's not rain so that when the rain does come, that water doesn't run off of a hard heart and into the gullies, but instead it soaks into your heart and gives you a heart of flesh that's tender, moldable, teachable, conformable to the image of Christ.